Thank you, uh, Sam, Baloo, and Fola. It was uh, it's great to have these young musicians playing. It's a, very, it's a great encouragement. Um, great encouragement this morning, too, to have the young men particip participating in the Lord's Supper. And uh, they're taking over, and that's great. We want them to take over. That's, that's, and so we're going to look at a young man today. Um, look at a young man named Daniel. And I want to start a little series, if I can, on the book of Daniel. Don't know how far we'll get. Uh, at least six, six chapters, I'd hope. Um, but if we could turn there in your Bibles, please. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Boy, we collect a lot of junk up behind this thing. <clears throat> there we go. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, our Savior. How great thou art, we've been singing. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, he gladly bearing, my sin, my penalty, to take it away. Father, what great hope we have. What a great message we have. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who has never come to realize that Jesus died for them to take away their sin, that that, that would sink in this morning, that they would come to that realization and trust him with all their heart for all eternity. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're all familiar, perhaps, with the, with the term status quo. It kind of is a word that comes from the legal dictionary, and it, it means the existing state of things or things just as they are, but it's, it's a term that's kind of come to mean unchanged or not distinct or uh, even boring. How's life with you? Oh, status quo. Boring. Not the same. Everything's, yeah, you know, get up, go to work, blah, blah, blah. But you know, it's interesting. Yeah, I've had three of them, so I know kind of a bit what they're like. Kids don't want to be different when they're little kids. They want to be like their, their buddies. They want to be like each other. They imitate. They imitate mom, dad, and, and they imitate each other. And, and they, they want to fit in, and they want to be like the rest of the group. But then comes a point a little later on when they're faced with peer pressure. You really have to fit in. You really have to be the same. You have to, you have to look like the rest of us. And I think today that for Christians, we are faced with a... Guys, you might have to advance this. I don't know. This doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Maybe I'm going the wrong way. There we are. So this took me like... A second and a half to come up with some of the stuff that we're, and I couldn't find a place to put hump, uh, Trump and Hillary on there. So, so but <laughs> this is just some of the stuff that we're all facing. And oh, by the way, if you, I haven't said anything about the election in the U.S. as to who I'm for or against. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not for either of them. <laughs> it reminds me of that time when, when Joshua met the commander of the, the army of the Lord of Hosts, and, and, and Joshua said, who are you for, us or our enemies? And he said, neither. You know, that's kind of the way God's looking at the U.S. election. Who's he for? Trump? People are saying, yeah, 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 he's got to be. 
And people are saying, no, 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 he can't be. Well, guess what? He's not for either one. God, God controls the nations, and God will control all of these things. So we don't have to get ourselves in an uproar over that. So that could go on the page here. So we're facing all of these things, all of these things in our lives. And I, I have faced some difficult decisions in my own personal life over the last little while on issues that I have to make a decision. And I have to think, what am I going to do here? And it's hard because there's a lot of pressure. Everybody else is doing this. We're all going to this. We're all going to spend time on this or this is the focus of our business and, and so on and so on. And the pressure comes and it comes and it comes. And you don't want to be outside the box. You know, it's, it's, it's technology. Ah. Peer pressure. I thought this works at the speed of light. It doesn't, obviously. <laughs> it's peer pressure. Like, we get it all the time, and it doesn't just happen to young people. You know, a, a survey was done amongst teenagers and said, what's the biggest problem that you see in your own lives? And they said, the biggest problem we face is peer pressure, pressure to conform to the group. But then sometimes we come along, we get a little bit older, and it's, okay, now I'm going to be an individual. You're going to step out and you're going to be an individual. Well, that's okay as long as the individual is cool and fits in with the rest of the group. And the same old peer pressure, it doesn't, it doesn't change. I remember, barely, I remember more of the 70s than the 60s because um, I was just really little. But the 70s was, 60s rather, it was all about counterculture. And it was all about being different. And it was all about being different from our parents and turning the world upside down and revolution and we're going to write songs about revolution. Well, you know, what? that was really, really cool at that time. And now when you're on hold, when you call in for customer service and you start hearing, you say, you want a revolution. And you're thinking, this isn't cool anymore because it's now, it's now on hold at Sears or it's now at the dentist's office playing some person you never heard playing this over the over the, the PA. But you see, Christians, we've been called actually to be countercultural, to be different, to stand out from, from, from the rest of the world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12. And these little guys here, you see, they're all just puppets. They're conforming. They're, they're going to follow along. They're going to they're fit in with everybody else. And this one little guy says, I had enough of this. I'm cutting those strands. I'm going to cut those strings. I'm not going to be the world's puppet anymore. That's what I want to talk about. So this morning, I want to look at this, this book, this book of Daniel. It's an amazing book. This is actually, I was inspired to do this by Nick Hansen. He didn't ask me to. But he spoke one evening, I think you might remember, on a real short message about how Daniel was a character that he really admired. And I thought, oh, I haven't looked at Daniel for a long, long time. And then I went back and I had some notes from the last time I spoke on Daniel, and it was 1996. So, and then I realized that that's 20 years ago, and then I realized I'm really, really getting old. But <laughs> anyway, it was, it was kind of cool to go back and, and look at that. So Daniel uh, is a, an interesting book. It's 12 chapters. The first part of Daniel, for the most part, there's prophecy in the greatest prophecy, probably some of the greatest prophecies, prophecy in Scripture, is found in Daniel chapter 2. But 
it's, it can be divided into two things, Daniel the man and Daniel the message. And the first six chapters cover Daniel the man. It talks about the prophet, and the last part is the prophecies. We're going to see how Daniel stands out as very courageous, a very daring individual. And so I want to challenge you this morning is to dare to be different, to dare to be distinct from the world around us. We all know what a dare is. Um, you know, kids, kids always, I remember doing this stuff, I dare you to do this. Oh yeah, well, I double dare you to do that. And then what was the answer? I, no, I double dog dare you to do that, <laughs> right? Well, and it goes on and on and on. And it gets, like, it gets greater as the conversation goes on. Well, the book of Daniel is a book that I want to say is kind of put out there saying, I dare you. I dare you to live the way Daniel lived. I dare you to live in this world this way. Now, the idea of daring to be a Daniel isn't new. In the 1800s, it was a Sunday school teacher in Chicago. He, he wanted the kids to remember, and so he wrote this little song. Remember the song? Clyde knows it, because, and Ken, the seniors here, are, are aware of the song. And I can still hear Hilton belting it out. I mean, I think, I think at my house a couple times, he, he said, let's sing Dare to be a Daniel. I'm saying, Dare to be a Daniel? I don't even know that song. Well, it didn't matter. Hilton's going to sing it. So he sang it, and then he taught it to us, and then... You know, we sang it again. Dare to be a Daniel. Here's how it goes. I'm not going to sing it. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. As we study the book of Daniel, I think I want to be challenged in how I think, how I act, how I live. And for all of us, let's step up to a new level in our life, our Christian life, and live our life in a very daring way. Now, some daring stuff is stupidity. This is not stupidity. This is to be bold, to, be, to step out and to be different, to be what God has asked us to be. Stories told of a circus performer, he's a trapeze act guy, and uh, one of those daring young men on the flying trapeze, as they used to sing about. And he was in a conversation and he said, you know that there's a net underneath us. The guy said, no, I didn't. He said, well, it's there for two reasons. He said, what are the two reasons? Why would you have a net? The first one's obvious, because if you fall, you're going to kill yourself. And he said, yeah, that's the first one. You got it. He said, you know why number two, the number two reason why the net is there? He said, nope, had no idea. He says, because it makes us more daring. Just knowing that that net is there makes me more daring. I will do things that I wouldn't normally do if there was a concrete floor underneath me. Same with the guys in the tightrope. They're walking across the tightrope. If the net is there, their performance is way, way more enhanced than it would be if the net isn't there. Yeah, you're thinking, why are you telling me that story? Well, the very reason I'm saying let's step up, let's live in a more daring way in our lives, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 33, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Underneath us, and John Wells, I believe, mentioned this verse a couple of weeks ago, underneath us are the everlasting arms of a loving God. So we can dare to step out for him. We can dare to do things for him that he asks us to do, knowing that he's there to catch us, that he is there to protect us. And just the fact that I know that my God is there and my God will protect me should help me to act as a Christian the way I should. The first point I want to look at, there's four principles really in the first chapter that I, I want to look at that tells us that we should be extraordinary to be extinct. And the first one 
is one of the things that, that kind of comes along for us, and it's true for all of us, life happens. Life happens. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Let's uh, look in, in chapter one, and I'm gonna read the first couple of verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. So here we are in Judea. Life is going along just nice and cool. Everything is great. And then all of a sudden they look out one day and the Babylonian army is just rolling in. That was around 586, I believe it was, B.C. 586 B.C. But I want you to notice that there are two viewpoints of history given in this verse, in the first verse. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And look what it says in verse two. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. You see, history talks about the facts, the what, the what, the, 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 the uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? The, 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 the facts of, of, of the what and, and how and, and so on. But the scriptures talk about the why. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was an up-and-coming star. He was, he was the new guy that was coming in, and he was, he was taking over uh, much of, the, much of the, uh, the world at that point in time. But the viewpoint of secular history is that Nebuchadnezzar came in and besieged Jerusalem. The viewpoint of God is, I gave the king over to him. God was in control. God was the one that took care of history. In uh, 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, who was a young man, was, was kind of the up and coming new kid on the block. And, and everybody who knows history, I guess, I, I, I'm not a, a history buff, but the uh, Carchemish was the battle in southern Turkey where Nebuchadnezzar had taken on Assyria and Assyria and defeated them, much to everybody's surprise. And then it just steamrolled from there. It just it went on three more sieges in 605 and 597 and, and 586. He came in and then eventually he, he defeated Jerusalem and, and burned it to the ground. And even today you can go to Jerusalem. I don't know, if Ken, if you've seen any of this, but, but if you go, there are still rocks from the old, that, they, that they've uncovered, the archaeologists have uncovered, that are scorched from the fires that were set in Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar had come in, come in, in, in 586 BC and taken over. And what they did was they, they took all of the, they killed many of the people, and then they took some captives. Daniel was one of them. He was probably about the age 15 when they, when they took him. So what would happen is, you imagine, your child is now taken, Daniel 15 to 17 years old. His parents, it would seem, were, were well-to-do parents. In, in Jerusalem, and probably what they would do is they would probably parade these young people. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were very cruel people. They would parade the young people in front of the parents as they take them away captive 
and then they would kill the parents. The very last thing you see is your child being taken away. Life happens, and sometimes it's really, really hard, isn't it? Maybe you're going through stuff in your life, but and unexpectedly, life happens. Unexpectedly, things come along and, and, and you don't expect it. But you see, Judah, they should have expected it. They were warned. Back in, in Deuteronomy, we read this. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated unto this day shall be carried. Oh, that's too far ahead. There. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as an eagle swoops down, as a nation whose language you do not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, who will have no respect for the old, nor show favor for the young. It shall besiege you in all your towns, until your high and fortified walls in which you have trusted come down throughout the land, and it shall, and it shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land, which the Lord, the, the Lord God has given you. This is as soon as they settle into the land, after they've come from the Exodus. After they've, ex after they've left Egypt, they come in and God knows, and God has told them, you forget me, this is what's going to happen. This was predicted a long, long time ago. They had this in their, in their, in their scriptures. They knew the story. And then further on, when the second warning comes through Isaiah, behold, he gets more and more specific. He says, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated unto this day shall be carried away to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. They shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of Babylon. You see, when I read this stuff, I think, man, I can trust the word of God. I can trust the Bible so much because I read this stuff and I think this was written hundreds and even thousands of years before the event even happened and it came true exactly the way they said it was going to happen. Exactly the way God said it was going to happen. Right down to the young men carried away. Language that you don't understand. Babylon, the place is named. You can trust the word of God. So there's two sides to every story. There's the historic fact side and then there's the spiritual side. The factual side, the when, the how, the what, and the where. And then the spiritual side answers the why. Then they were carried away because they broke God's law. They refused to follow, out, follow the law of God. Nebuchadnezzar attacked, but the Lord gave. Both of them working side by side. So yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, he might be the new superstar, and he blows his horn really loudly, but, but God is the orchestra leader. God is the one who's behind all of this, making it happen. Here's the principle. Life might happen unexpectedly, but God is working supernaturally. Perhaps your life is happening unexpectedly today. Perhaps there's stuff going on, and you're thinking, oh man, I didn't count on this. I wasn't ready for this. Ever had a day like that? I remember coming into work the other day and getting that email that Clifford Campbell is clinging to life in the hospital. Wow, wait, wait a second now. This can't be happening. This can't happen. Him? He's so full of life. In a coma? You've got to be kidding me. Life happens unexpectedly. But God is behind everything, controlling it all. One author put it, God, God's ways are behind the scenes and he moves all the scenes that he is behind. And I think that Daniel understood this as a youth and you're going to see as we go through this. Daniel stood out even though life was happening and unexpectedly all around him. Paul the Apostle, when he was taken captive, said, I want you to know, brethren, that all these things have happened, or that have happened, have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. 
Joseph said to his brothers when they sold him as a captive and he finally had a reunion with them, he says, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. I understand there's a bigger picture here. It's not just about me. It's not just about what I'm going through today. There's a bigger picture and God sees the whole picture. And we can trust that. Eternal God is our refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. The second thing that you're going to see in the book of Daniel, and we're going to turn to... uh, uh, verses three through seven, is that the world demands conformity. Let's look at verse three. And the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the no- of the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence, in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding, discerning knowledge, and had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered them to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food from which, uh, from the wine he drank and appointed that they should be educated for three years, at the end of which they would enter the king's personal service. Now among them were the sons of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Meshael and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel, his name was Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. You know, we're living in a world that wants to conform you and push you into its mold. It wants you to, to, to uh, have its values and and embrace their idea of tolerance. The world wants you to conform. The world around, the, the pressure that is on all of us, and especially on our young people. It's, it's incredible. And th- so these four men were taken captives and they were brought in and they were, they were trained in, in, uh, in, in the, uh, the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Well, you might think that's not too much of anything, but, but the whole thing was to brainwash them to make them a Chaldean, to make them understand and use the arts of the Babylonians, which were occultic. And how did he do this? This was a, this is a very well laid out plan. The first thing he did was isolation. Let's take them away from their homeland. Let's take them and separate them away. Let's move them to university and put them in residence. Isolate them in today's terms. You're away. Your folks aren't around anymore. Your friends, your family, the people from your church, they're not around. Hey, you can be yourself. You're alone. All right, I just need some, I need to make new friends. I need to have, I need to have someone around me. They're away from their peers, they're away from the scriptures, they're away from the law, they're away from worshiping their God the way they always worship their God. How are they gonna react? The second thing that, that they did was they, they brought indoctrination indoctr- into their lives. They were taught the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. It wasn't just train them academically, it was to brainwash them. And you could just imagine how these great Babylonian professors could make an impact on young, teenage, impressionable Jewish minds. Everything they had been taught would be challenged. Their view of God, their view of man, their view of sin, their view of redemption, their, re- their view of their Savior, everything was to be challenged. They were indoctrinated. 
in the ways of the college. You to Babylon. It was a three-year graduate course. Make them to forget everything that they had learned growing up and replace it with new ideas. Does that sound familiar? We have young college students here. And I hear the stories. I hear what goes on. And I'm always amazed. And I've experienced it myself. You've got teachers who are paid to teach English, history, math, and chemistry. And yet they have to give their warped and twisted view of atheism. They have to give all their, their false religions. They have to try to dismantle. They, they, they zone in on the Christian in the class. And they try to dismantle their faith. And you wonder why. Why would they do that? Well, it's all part of that, that same scheme that they, that they used in Babylon. The third thing that, that they did was, was concession. Give up something. And we'll give you something. I mean, let's make Babylon experience so amazing that they won't even want to go back. We'll give them food from the king's table. And I, I could imagine, just if you walked into Babylon, like these young guys, I don't know about you, but the first time I ever traveled anywhere, I, went, I got on a plane by myself, went to Vancouver. My parents thought I was insane, because why would anybody ever want to leave Cape Breton? Because everything you ever want in the whole world is here. <laughs> so I remember getting off the plane, and, and the next day getting up, and my, my Uncle George took me downtown to where he worked, and I'm looking, and I'm thinking, I have never seen buildings this big before. I've never seen mountains all around us like this. I've never seen planes land in the harbor. I've never seen any of this stuff. Wow, I want to move here. I want to live here. I want, I just, this, is, this is the most amazing place in the world. So you've got a young man coming to Babylon, 15 years old, 17 years old, and he walks in, and he, he sees walls around the city 300 feet high. That's as high as a McDonald Bridge, or no, the new bridge. I don't know where the McDonald Bridge is going to be at the end of all this. So it's as high, it's as, high as the bridges. Imagine walls around the city that, that, that tall. 85 feet thick, 56 miles long. The Euphrates River, a mighty river running right through the middle of the town. And then the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, right in the middle of the city. You take a young Jewish boy, who had a very simple life probably, and you take him in and you show him that, and he's wowed. And then you bring the food from the king's table. Wow, I'm being treated like royalty. And besides, you know, God didn't really protect me. I kind of lost my parents, and I kind of miss home. These guys are looking after me. You see how it can work on you? You can see how it can affect a person? And then there was confusion. We're going to take their names and we're going to change their names. Now, you think, okay, well, they just gave them names that they would understand. No, there was meaning in this. Daniel's name means God is my judge. Changed to Belteshazzar, which means may Bel protect the king. Bel was one of the gods in the pantheon of, of, of Babylon. Hananiah means beloved of the Lord. It's actually close to my name in some ways. And he's given the name Shadrach, means illumined by the sun god Ra. Mishael means who is like God. And he's given the name Meshach, which means who is like Aku, another, the sun goddess. Azariah means the Lord is my help, and his name is given Abednego, which means servant of the shining one. So they're trying to remove everything from these young men that has anything to do with their relationship with God. Anything to do with home. 
That is going on today, folks. That's not something from Babylon from 686 BC or 586 BC. That is going on today with our young people, with our, with, with the, within the business world, within the world in which we operate today. The same kind of things are at play. Isolation. We'll, we'll, we'll separate you out. We'll... we'll we're just bombarded with indoctrination from the world. We're just bombarded every day. You know what? Maybe I'll give a little something up here and, 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 and go for it. And then confusion. There's confusion in the world like you wouldn't believe today. We're so messed up about what we believe on this and what we should believe on that. And I mean, just look at the U.S. election. I can't, I can't believe I brought it up again, but, but just look at... You read that and you think, I am so confused, I'm going to vote for myself. I'm going to vote for the Chicago Cubs. I, I mean, anybody but, but what's going on here. It's so confusing. And the world all around us is just filled with that. We got guys who, are, who you're paying for counsel and they're giving you bad counsel. We've got teachers who are filling people's heads with junk. We've got the television, never mind, just watch that for 10 minutes and you think, I am so confused at the end of that, I don't know what to think anymore. All of this is going on in our world. And if we do not dare to step out and stay close to God, we are in grave danger. We are in grave danger of being swept away. We need to, the world is demanding that we conform to the world. The Bible says, love not the world or the things that are of the world. So what happens? We have to make a commitment to God. We have to change. We have to say, I don't want the world. I want to be committed to God. And where does that begin? It begins in our hearts. Commitment begins inwardly. Let's look, let's read on, verse eight. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Now if you have your Bible open in front of you and you have a marker or a pen or anything, take that and highlight it, mark it, circle it, or even electronically if you can do it. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor the wine that he drank. Therefore, he requested that the chief of the eunuchs, that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. Why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, um, whom the, the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let them be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And, you will see, and, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented. Now, I want you to think for a second. This is a 17-year-old young man saying this to the king's official. This isn't like a, you know, a, a big bruiser of a, of a guy you know, trying to intimidate the king's official. This is, this is a 17-year-old young man. This is great. Young people, make a difference. Be the guy or gal. And he consent, uh, consented with them in this matter, and they tested them 10 days. And so at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh. Now, Back then, that was good. Today, it's disturbing. <laughs> Fatter and flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. 
Thus the steward took away the portion of the delicacies and the wine that they drank and gave them vegetables. Now I'm sure at the end of that they said, Go, Daniel, yeah, great. Now we're going to eat veggies all the time. We don't want the wine. We don't want the ham dinner. We don't want the turkey dinner. We don't want any of that stuff. We, we just want the veggies. Now I'm sure Daniel was not very popular with the rest of the guys. But you know, in verse 8, like I say, those five little words, Daniel purposed in his heart. Commitment to the Lord begins inwardly. It's not how I act on the outside. It's not putting on an appearance. It's my heart. Daniel purposed in his heart. One author puts it this way. All of life is filled with crises and decisions. There are right decisions. There are wrong decisions. There are high roads. There are low roads. Almost every day there will be a fork in the road. Where you are today is due to the turn in the road you took yesterday. I thought that is a good way to look at it. Where you are today is due to the turn in the road you took yesterday. So what was the turn in the road for Daniel? It was simply this. He made a choice, the choice to be distinct. I'm not going to go, around with, go along with the crowd. I'm not going to defile myself with this food. I'm not going to, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll learn the language, I'll learn the history, and I'll serve the king but I'm going to draw the line with what I put in my body. Daniel was Jewish. He grew up with all kinds of foods that were regulated, kosher foods, things that were prohibited to eat by law, and I'm sure that they would have been all over the table. And he's away. My folks aren't here to tell me what to eat anymore. What am I going to do? And a lot of these foods before they made it to the king's table, were sacrificed to idols in the pagan temples. And he knew that. He saw it happen. And he decided, I'm not going to defile myself with this food. And people, I'm sure some of the young guys had come up alongside and say, what's the big deal? We're 650 miles from home, man. Come on, dude. Your parents aren't around. Come on. It's just a little bit of food. What's, har what's the harm of food? Here's what I learned about food in, in, in Babylon U. Just take it in and eat it. It's okay. It's good. A little ham in it. It's okay. But it's still good. Daniel said, no. I'm not going to do that. Not even on the food. If I, if I give in on the food, I'm going to give in on everything. If I give in on this, I'm going to worship their gods. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. It started inward with Daniel. It started in his heart. The book of Proverbs it says in Proverbs 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. I'm not going to defile myself. So my question to you, what defiles you? Is it books you read? Is it magazines you look at? Is it television shows that you allow into your home? Movies that you watch? It's not that bad. Only 40 people killed and 150 cuss words in the movie. It's pretty good. Other than that, is it the stuff I watch on the net? Or is it the company I keep? The friendships that I have, that I toy with. The relationships I get myself in. What is it? What will we defile ourselves with? We all have to ask that question. Are there things in my life that should not be in my life? That are defiling me? That are ruining me from the inside? We need to live a life with the awareness that nobody else might be looking, but God is always looking. God knows. Daniel might have been 650 miles away from home. Sorry for using miles, but... It's easier that way. He might have been 650 miles away from home, 
But you know what? God saw everything he did. His parents might have been gone, but God saw it, and Daniel knew it. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21, for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. Sorry, I meant to put those verses up for you. Nothing is hidden from God. Nothing. Everything is uncovered and bare in his sight. Two things. Two words. Reputation. You see, my reputation is what I have on the outside. I might have a great reputation at work. I might be known in the neighborhood as a great neighbor. But my character is what I am on the inside when God is looking and nobody else is. Character is what I am when I'm alone a thousand miles from home in a hotel. Character is what I am when I'm with a group of people who my family doesn't know and I'm traveling and I'm away from everybody else. That's where character comes in. It's what I am when nobody but God is watching. You know, the story is told of Moses in Exodus chapter 2 where it says it came about in those days Moses had grown up. He went out to his brethren. He looked at the hard labors and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one was around, he struck down the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. What did he do wrong? He didn't look that way. He didn't look that way. He looked this way, it says. He looked that way. God was watching. God saw it. God knew. And when we live our lives knowing that we're living out our life before God, who sees everything in our life, who knows everything in our life, we will not defile ourselves. The next thing is, and this is the final point, and I'm going to close with this. God always honors loyalty. It's the final principle. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, this amazing verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show him strong on behalf of those who are, whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Fool, foolishly. Now therefore... Uh, from now on, you shall have wars. But the first part of that verse, for the, Lord, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking. Who can I find who is loyal to me? The final verses here, it says, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in visions and dreams, and now the end of the days, the king had said that they would be brought in. The chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king interviewed them. And among them, among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, astrologers who were in his realm. Here he is now, three years later, almost 20 years old. He comes in for an interview, a personal interview with the king. And he's told, wow, you guys are way better than everybody else we brought in. Four ways that God honored them. First of all, with reverence. God brought Daniel, in verse nine, uh, 19, God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs doesn't mean that life's going to be perfect for the rest of the book because you'll find out real soon that it won't be. 
Life will be tough. He's going to get persecuted. He's going to be thrown in a lion's den at the end of his life, at the later part of his life. He's going to be threatened, all kinds of things. But God has moved him into a position of favor. It says in Proverbs 16, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies at peace with him. He had reverence. Secondly, he had preference or prominence. In verse 20, they graduate at the top of the class. In all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better. In other words, one of you guys, what are you for, is better than ten of my other guys. God had given them prominence and preference. Influence. Daniel, the last verse, I love this last verse. Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Now you just read that and think, oh, that's cool. That's 70 years. Daniel continued for 70 years. Are you continuing? Are you walking and are you continuing? Are you going on? He influenced King Nebuchadnezzar I, King Nebuchadnezzar II, also known as Nabonius, Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, and finally Cyrus the Great of the Mede, totally different kingdom. Influence and longevity. I want to close with an illustration and then a story. And I know you're, I, I wasn't lying when I said 45 minutes. What are you? Are you a thermostat? Or are you a thermometer? Uh, let me explain that. A therm, thermo, thermometer is circumstantially led. It depends on the temperature. Mercury goes up, mercury goes down, depending on what's going on around you. It changes all the time. It's really changing these days. <laughs> I looked and mine went below zero last night. It moves according to the circumstances. Everything around the thermometer controls how the thermometer works, moves up or down. But a thermostat influences your surroundings. You know, if we took that thermostat off the wall over there and put a thermometer there, you'd be frozen this morning. You'd be frozen. And you know what the thermometer would tell you? You're freezing. Because <laughs> it's just going along with you. It's just going to just go wherever, wherever the room temperature is. But we have a thermostat there. And that thermostat is set to govern the environment around us. So are you going to influence the environment around you? Or are you just going to go along and be like a thermometer up and down with whatever comes your way? People are like that. People say, well, if the world is into this, then I'm going to be into this. If the world isn't, well, hey, I'm not. If, you know, I'll just go along with the pressure. I'll go along with the group. If it's hot, it's hot. If it's cold, I'll be cold too. Daniel wasn't. He was a thermostat. Be a thermostat. Don't be a thermometer. Final story. Since baseball ended this week, I have to tell this one. Read this one, I, I laughed. Mrs. Or Miss Jones, Miss Jones was an elderly spinster, spinster, never married, lived in a small Midwestern community in the U.S. She had the notoriety of being the oldest resident in town. One day she died, and the editor of the local newspaper thought, "Okay, the oldest resident in town, I've got to write something, a tribute of some kind in in our little newspaper here." And, the guy from the headstone company called up and said, hey, listen, Jimmy, what are you, uh, what are you writing for in the paper? Because I've got to do the headstone. He said, I don't know. He said, I don't know anything about her. I mean, she kind of lived, died, was old, and nobody knows anything about her. She didn't seem to do anything. Of any notoriety. He said, all right. I know what I'm going to do. The first reporter that walks through the door this morning, he's getting the assignment. He's going to write the story. 
Well, wouldn't you know it, it's a newly hired sports editor walks through the door. And he says, all right, um, you're going to write Nancy Jones' obituary and, and tribute in the paper. And whatever you write is going to go on her headstone. He says, oh, okay, great. So now they say that in the Midwest there's a tombstone that says, here lie the bones of Nancy Jones. Her life held no terrors. She lived an old maid, she died an old maid. No hits, no runs, no errors. <laughs> Just like a sports editor would write. But you know the thing is, it's a funny little story. But who wants to be like that and just play it safe through life? Just cruise through life. You might want to make a few errors, but want to, don't you want to live for the hits and the runs? Don't you, want to, don't you want to make an impact? Daniel lived to make an impact. He continued through four kings for 70 years. He continued because he had purpose in his heart. Father, this morning I thank you that we have a record of the life of Daniel. Thank you, Father, that these things are written for, for us, for our encouragement, and for our training in life before you. Help us, Lord, not to just look to life and say, I want to just play it safe. I want to avoid everything at all costs, or I just want to fit in. I just want to be a a thermometer in this world. Father, help us to be people who will influence the world for God. Help us to, this week, go out and tell somebody about the Lord Jesus. Help us to be people who will pray. Help us to be people who will encourage another believer. Help us be people who will talk to an unbeliever about the danger of their soul and lead them to Christ. Help us to be different, to be distinct. I ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.